As you're being seated, if you would please turn your copies of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're here in the midst of a little bit of a break in, in between our uh, chapters in Genesis, between chapters 11 and 12. We'll be jumping back into that, Lord willing, next week uh, as we examine uh, the, the promises, the covenant that was made with Abraham. That will be a, a very significant uh, moment in biblical history, so I look forward to seeing you all next week as we explore uh, at least the first part of that together. But for now, we're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll be taking a look at just one verse here today. Uh, this will be verse 13. If you're following along in the uh, Pew Bible, that is page 1138. 1138. This is another entry in a series of sermons that I've done here called, Ooh, So Close, where we were taking a look at uh, often uh, misquoted or misunderstood Bible verses and take a look at to see what do they really mean. And today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, I'm going to read the two verses surrounding it, because context, uh, and we're going to get into what this passage means for us today. So I'm going to back up, and I'm going to take a look at verse 12. Listen carefully, because this is God's word that's for you. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. <clears throat> Let's go to our God and ask his blessing on our message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that you've given to us, a passage of warning and a passage of comfort. And I pray that you would help us to hear and believe and appropriate the gift that you've given to us in this passage. I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Does anyone else feel like that there is just too much going on? This is a line from a video that Abby and I have been quoting to each other over the last several weeks, and it was this man who was saying, or rather screaming, this exact sentiment from his vehicle. And so much of life is going on, it seems like it's unrelenting so much of the time. But we try to comfort ourselves by saying, well, don't worry, yes, life is hectic, but God is not going to give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that? Or if you're, if you're bold enough, considering what I were, we're about to do in this passage, have quoted that to other people. I have. Uh, and this is something that we're going to find out is not true. God actually does give you more than you can handle. And we can find that out actually from the Bible. In fact, the person who wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, later, as one commentary had pointed out, in 2 Corinthians verse or chapter 1, verse 8, had this to say. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Does that man sound overwhelmed to you? Does me. It sounds like the Lord has given him more than he can handle. 
that is exactly why he continues at the end of verse 9. Listen to what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. That is what is happening to us when we're told God won't give you more than you can handle. No, that's not true. He is going to give you exactly more than you can handle because he wants you to rely on him. So where do we get this idea in the first place that he's not going to give us more than we can handle? Well, one book that's been very helpful in my preparation in this series called The Most Misunderstood Verses in the Bible points to this verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, as maybe why we tend to think he's going to give us, he's not going to give us beyond what we can handle. And indeed, that's not what this verse says, but tells us that he is going to help us overcome temptation. All of these things are related, so let's explore them together. And we're going to take a look at our two points, as is usual, as you'll be able to see on the back of your prayer guide what I want you all to see. The first point is that the danger of falling into temptation is very real. The danger of falling into temptation is very real. But number two, the dependence on God and avoidance of sin is required. And that's what we're going to look at as we dive into this passage. Now, if you remember from the series that we talked about, the way that we can avoid misusing verses in their context is to make sure that we read them in their context. If I say to you the word blinker, it's going to be very different if I'm talking to an auto mechanic or if I'm talking to an eye doctor. Someone who is a blinker, who closes their eyes frequently, is very different depending on the little light that is, we are supposed to use when we're driving. Context matters, and it's the same thing here. When Paul is talking about temptation... And what this means, in order for us to understand what he's saying, we need to read the verses that are come before and come after. And indeed, if you really want to know what's going on, the chapters before and the chapters after. Now, we don't have time to read four chapters of 1 Corinthians, but in order to summarize what's going on here, Paul is writing to a church, the church at Corinth. This church at Corinth is in the middle of a very, very difficult, sinful place. This would have been the Las Vegas of the Middle East here in Corinth. And here what Paul is talking about as we get into chapter 10 is to make sure that we never believe that we are above temptation. He goes back into the first parts of chapter 10 and begins narrating from Israel's own history. He goes back to Exodus, as you'll see often they go back to Exodus to remind themselves of their history, and points to these people who saw God working in very tangible ways. They watched him bring Egypt, the ultimate empire of the time, to its knees with ten supernatural plagues. And then they watched as he helped them escape by splitting a Red Sea. Help see their provision by providing bread in the middle of the desert and water as well. And you would tend to think that if you've seen all that, you would say, you know what? This God is worth following and obeying. I've, I've thought that before. If I could just see God, it would make a difference for me. But it didn't for Israel. For Israel, they were still subject to temptation. They thought that they were above it. 
And even while God was thundering on the mountain for the commandments to be given to the people of Israel, they turned to idolatry. And we're dancing around a golden calf mere moments after Moses ascends the mountain. So here is what, this is the background that's in Paul's mind as he then gets here to verse 12. And it says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, as you'll see if we look at the rest of this part of this passage, he's warning them particularly against idolatry, bowing down to other stone figures as if they were gods. This isn't something that strikes us as much of a temptation for us. But this was something that was a big part of their Corinthian society at the time. If you weren't a Christian, you were worshiping something, or perhaps multiple things. And the way that you would do that would be going to these temples and bowing down to these stone representations. Now, if you've been saved, you're a part of the Corinthian church, that's not something you're doing anymore. But how do you think that's faring with the rest of the city? We grow up, even in this being considered a small town of 12,000 people. But here in Corinth, that would have been even smaller. For you to withdraw from the temple would mean something. The rest of the people would look at you and say, why isn't he honoring our God? Because honoring our God is make sure that we get corn that grows. By honoring this one, that's what makes sure that the rains show up. So for you to not be at temple, you're damaging the rest of the community. So the Corinthians are thinking, well, how can we, how can we be wise as serpents and gentle as doves here? Maybe if I just show up at temple and bow down towards this rock, I know that thing's just a rock. There's no real God back there. What's the harm in me just going, bowing down, being a part of the society? Get in, get out. It's all fine. I'm not going to be subject to this temptation. I've moved past this. I'm a mature Christian now. I'm not going to fall into idolatry. What's the harm of just bowing and keeping the peace? And here what Paul is saying is like, there is no I'm more mature than temptation. And in fact, if you think you are, in verse 12, Take heed, because you're about to fall. Because that's what the ancient Israelites thought. They thought they were beyond it. You're not beyond it either. Now, how does this apply to us today? There's not a whole lot of stone bowing in our culture now. We're too scientific for that. But there are plenty of other things that we're told to, mostly in the realm of ideas. We don't worship gods anymore. We worship ideas. So you need to show allegiance to the alphabet soup of sexualities we have now. Just put your pronouns on the name tag. Do what it takes to get through society. And we can tend to think, oh, well, I know all of this stuff is ridiculous. But I'll just go along with it and I'll be able to stay out of it. He says that's not the case. Temptation is something that is an extremely real danger. And if we think that it's not we're going to fall into it. We can't believe that we can be really close to sin and it never affect us. Some classic examples of this are, you know, we've all seen these online videos of people that take care of these wild animals in zoos, and they've been taking care of them for years and years. And all of a sudden, one day, the thing decides to bite them. This, and we're always surprised I've been taking care of this animal for 15 years. This is a dangerous alligator. And one day just bit me in the hand. Why? 
but we get used to it. When we get used to being around our sin and thinking it's no big deal, we, lose, we drop our care. And it's not until the alligator has snapped its hand down on us that we remember, this is wild. This is not for me. This is not for my best interest. So we don't hang around these things. A soldier is most in danger when he's in combat but thinks he's not. This was something that Mr. Nikitas had talked to us about last week. So many of us are in a war and we don't realize we are. Sin is out to get you. There is no keeping it in a cage. There is no flirting around it. It's going to take you. Because it took the Israelites who had seen God. It's taken so many others before us. We can't believe that we're mature enough to be beyond temptation. Now, all of this at the start here in verse 12, if we were to stop there, we would feel rather depressed. It's like, okay, well, then it just sounds like temptation is going to take us. Might as well just surrender to it. It's going to happen eventually. And here's where we get the glorious promise from verse 13. How it is that we can avoid temptation. And as we head into our second point, a dependence on God and avoidance of sin is required. Look where he says in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not alone here, whatever it is that you're going through. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right, so let's take this one at a time. One, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. This is something that's really comforting and is one of those things that when I will speak to someone who has found themselves in really serious sin, I hear the same thing over and over. I feel like I'm the only person going through this. Nobody understands what it's like to go through X. It's like, actually, there are thousands of people that know what it's like to go through X. Because it says right here in the Bible, there is nothing that you're going through that other people haven't also gone through. You're not alone. But that's the first lie that sin wants to tell you, is you're by yourself. No one else gets it. The Lord does. And so do other people. But because we assume they don't, we hide. And when you hide a sin, you try to keep it under wraps, keep it in your jacket. It just gets closer to you. It will just bite harder. Secret sin never gets better. It only gets worse. So that's why we start out here. You're not alone. And the second thing, God's faithful to you. God's not going to leave you in the lurch. How does he do that? Well, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that through your natural strength, if you just white-knuckle it and try hard, you can overcome every temptation? Is that what he's talking about? No. You'll notice there's no period there. But it continues. Why will this not be beyond your ability? Because with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I originally titled this, this message, I think, yeah, God's Escape Hatch. And that he will provide you the way out of temptation. And as I was putting together the children's bulletin this morning, actually, uh, there's an image on the front part of it of a treehouse. I actually like that image better. Here's what I mean by this. 
We tend to think, or at least I tended to think when I was looking at this, that the escape hatch for the temptation is always right there in that moment. And that if you'll just take, push the button that's right there, then you'll be able to get out of it. I think there's actually a longer-term solution that one of the commentators suggested here. The escape hatch that God is giving you for your temptation may have actually been given to you three months beforehand in what you were going to read in your Bible that day. One of the suggestions that this author had offered to us was scripture memorization. Having God's word in your mind and deep in your heart to be able to call on when you're in temptation is the vehicle that Jesus himself used when he was going through temptation with Satan, wasn't it? Jesus did not list out logical reasons why Satan was wrong and he was right. Well, if I make this bread, then I'm going to deny my Messiahship. He did not sit there and theologize with Satan. He sat down and he said, thus says the Lord this. God said it, that's it. That's the rule. That's the authority. That's what we're called to do. So when I think of a way of escape, I think about when we were kids and wanted to get away from it all, we ran into the treehouse. That was our escape. But someone had to build that. Someone needed to put it together. And that's what we're called to do in our daily Christian life. Temptation is coming for us. And he gives you, has given you, the way of escape. It's right here. But will you use it? God does not give us a magic button that if we push, teleport it out of the temptation. But what he has given us is armor, as we see in Ephesians, to battle the temptation when it's there. But if you don't put it on, well, temptation's going to be a lot harder for you. So prepare. Get ready. You know what your propensities are. You know where you tend to fall. You know what sins tempt you more than others. We're all different. We're all, some of us are more pulled in one direction or another, but that doesn't mean that we have some sort of special sin nature that only we understand. It's just all of our general sin natures will pull us in different directions based on our experiences and who we are. So because of that, do you struggle with anger? There's a lot of Bible verses about that. Do you struggle with anxiety? There's a lot of Bible verses about that. With lust, with gossip, any of these things. We could list, we could be here and listing sins all day. But God has something for you here. But are you picking it up? I think that may be the difference why so many of us lose the battle with temptation far more than we have to. We're not picking up the weapons that he used, that he gives to us. We have nothing to draw on. And I think that's what we're called to do here. Don't think that we are above temptation. Take heed lest you fall. How do we take heed? Grabbing hold of what he's given to us. Now, should we pray in the midst of temptation and asking the Lord for strength to resist? Yes, do that, please. He will meet you there far more often than we tend to think he will. But go into the battle strong. Don't enter into the boxing match having not worked out at all. Don't go into battle having not done any training. Don't try to run a marathon without any food in your stomach. 
Take hold of what he's given you and be prepared for this fight. And then there's another thing. This is what that, that first half of those, the point of depending on God. And then I also love verse 14. The Bible is so practical if we'll just read it. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry. This is the next part. He'll provide a way of temptation. So therefore, don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted. Flee from idolatry. Run away. Be as far from it as possible. It's like the old joke that goes, Doctor, I broke my arm in two places. And the doctor responds, Well, stay out of them places. <laughs> Do you fall into sin by doing a particular thing? Then in the words of Bob Newhart, stop it. Do you find yourself, this can be really practical. Do you find yourself being more frustrated and angry with people when you haven't gotten enough sleep? Go to sleep. Take our sin seriously. It might mean you change some things about your life. It might be we go to bed consistently because that makes us a holier person. It might be we give up the internet connection because we can't stop misusing it. Jesus got very practical in his sermon that if your hand offends you, cut it off. He's not actually calling for you to chop off your hand because we can still sin with or without a hand. But what he's trying to make us in a very graphic way is do what it takes to get away from sin. It doesn't have to be these super elaborate things. It can be something as simple as going to a friend and saying, I'm struggling with this. Will you ask me how I'm doing? And most of the time when we think about that to ourselves, you begin to think, oh man, I wouldn't want to have to tell a friend if I felt that would be so embarrassing. <laughs> well, that sounds like you got a great strategy there. Do what it takes to flee. Don't assume that you can be strong. But get away from temptation. There was a story about a king who was interviewing chariot drivers to take his kids where they needed to go. And the interviewer was asking the chariot owners, how close do you think you can get your chariot wheel to the edge of the cliff and still be safe? And one boasted he could get it within four inches. Someone else with it, they could get it within three. A third saying that he could get it within one of that edge. Finally, the fourth one that was asked said, I'm going to stay as far away from the edge as possible. I have the king's children in my chariot. And he was the one that got the job. Too many of us try to see how close we can fly to temptation. How close to the edge can we get and not sin? And That's not what we're called to do. Sin is a danger to our souls. Don't get close. Run. Don't edge up. Prepare. Think about it. Strategize. All the entire time, depending on God for all of it. I was reading a book from the late pastor reader last night. I was talking about the Christian life. 
And he compared the, the things that, that there were two words that he used. Dependence on God and diligence in what he's given you to do. And he compares it to two wings on an airplane. And he said, if you were on an airplane and the pilot was to ask you, we have to lose one wing, which would you rather lose, the left or the right? And the answer is neither. You need both wings to fly. That's what he's talking about here in the Christian life. This is not to say that we earn our salvation by what we do. It's not. It's all of grace, as we sang earlier. But God calls us to diligence in using the graces that he gives to us to live this Christian life. All in dependence on God. You can't fly this plane without depending on him. Nor can you fly this plane without doing what he tells you to do. Will keep us in the air. Will keep us going. This is what he calls us to. And again, all is in the center there in verse 13. Because God is faithful to you. If you go into your Christian life assuming that God might be there for you, you're going to live very differently than, no, he is going to be there. It means we're going to appropriate the things that he's given to us. He didn't give us all that he has given to us because he wanted to see how much of a memory challenge we could make. Everything that's in here is here for a reason. We need all of it. How much are we reading? How much are we memorizing? And I think what you'll find is if you spend your time dependent on God, praying for him, asking for help, saying, I know I am like this. Help me to not be like this today. I'm going to memorize what you say about why I need to be more like this than that. I think what you'll find is as you appropriate more and more of these things, as you discipline yourself to handle these things, you'll find yourself getting stronger. And you'll find yourself more dependent on Jesus and less willing to even hint at sin. So, what are our takeaways? What's our takeaway from this passage? One is that God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. So you'll learn to stop handling it on your own. You have been, God has given you grace for a reason. We need it. God is going to give you, this even, even works in good things. God will give you the opportunities to do more good things than you can possibly do. All that is to teach you to rely on him. That he's the Messiah. And that you're not. God is going to give you kids that are well beyond your current patience level. To force you to come to God in prayer every morning. There will be times that you will call out to God in prayer. And it will seem like he's answering you no. It's like to teach you maybe you don't need the thing that you need. Or to be patient in when he is going to provide it for you. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is to take temptation seriously. None of us are above it. None of us are above it. I've watched people who you would think were absolutely solid people that could never fall to something like that. And they do. I've had the chance to interview some of them. And what I find is they didn't go from faithful Christian living straight to the depths of evil. Most just don't jump off the cliff. 
Most of them slide down the cliff. They'll stop taking the ways of escape that have been given to them. They'll stop being dependent on God and assume that they have it. And God is willing to let you fall so other people will know not to go down that path. Learn from what others have done. Learn from ancient Israel. Learn from your own past mistakes. But learn that God is faithful to you. And if you stay close to him, if you appropriate the ways of escape that he has given to you, you will find that. You will find escape from temptation. But finally, a third takeaway is what happens when you did see that way of escape? You didn't take it. And you sinned yet again. Now what? God is faithful. Don't then fall into the temptation to despair. That's like, well, I've fallen. This means God doesn't care about me anymore. Grace is beyond me. I've failed. Don't do that. Don't do worldly sorrow that leads only to grief. But instead, be sorrowful for your sins just enough to drive you back to Jesus. God is faithful. So that when we sin, we can come to him. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin because of what Jesus has done. In all this, in our avoidance of temptation, the gospel is forced, is first and foremost. If we think, well, I've been doing really well. I can keep myself out of temptation because I've done X, Y, and Z. Oh, that wing fell off on that side. We stop being dependent on Jesus. We stopped remembering that the reason why he's faithful to us is because Jesus was faithful to us. Lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. If we've put our trust in him, he will forgive us. So when we fall, come back to Jesus. Ask for fresh strength. Flee temptation and keep going. That's the Christian life. And you'll find if we stay close to him, It's a really good one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that you are not going to leave us in our sin, but that you will provide a way of escape so that we don't have to. We don't have to be fated to disobey. But I pray that when we do, that when we don't take advantage of what you've given to us, that our hearts would yearn to come back, to look to you, our forgiving Father, to find rest for our souls and forgiveness from our sins. I pray this is the case for everyone who is here, that there wouldn't be anybody who is relying on themselves to get out of sin, but that they would come to you, that they would find forgiveness in the gospel. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.